0: Today, we have another Q&A that's come in. It's been a little bit since I've done a and a but this is from Lauren and she's from Chicago. A regular listener of your podcast. Thank you for all the advice and tips. Really appreciate that. And thank you for listening. I'm not going to, I'll read it out real um, briefly. I'm just going to catch a couple of words here and there. I don't like reading out loud and I don't think I need to, to read all the paragraphs because it's quite a lengthy one here. But basically reaching out for some guidance. She has a three-year-old terrier mix, adopted a rescue about two years ago. Working with a trainer on and off. Don't know what that means. We're going to talk about that. And since I had him, work most about obedience training leash manners. He's made great progress, continues some challenges, but he's, her youngest son, who is seven, fine with her older kids, but very wary of the youngest. So with my, so her youngest is seven. Most have been using management to handle this. in separate rooms unless I can supervise. My son's playing, I use the crate. I thought things were getting better recently. Dog growled and snapped at my son while he was playing. He did not bite or hurt him, thankfully, but the behaviour is, of course, concerning. Struggling with him, whether or not I can continue simply by managing the situation or consider rehoming the dog. Rehoming would be difficult, I've had him for two years. I worry through maybe the dog being in a home with a young child and, of course, other children that are coming it may not be a good fit. Apologies for the long message. Don't apologise at all. I've talked to a trainer. He encouraged I stay on course, suggested tips of how to make this work. Do I have any thoughts to consider? So, it's a long one. I did write back to Lauren. And I'm sure she's going to listen to this. And I worked back to her about a week and a bit ago. So I'm not sure what decision has been made if she's just carried on. But what I said to her is that, look, obviously, it's very, very hard to give any... I'm not going to... I can't give Lauren specifically any advice. We can talk generally and we can talk about um, some hypothetical situations. For me, I can't get to Chicago. So I offered maybe we can do a Zoom session, be a little bit more specific about a situation, what's going on. But ideally having somebody one-on-one is the best. She's started to do that on and off. Something like this can't just be an on and off sort of experience. We kind of want somebody who's going to commit to the beha- to the training basically until we see it through. And it sounds like, you know, I could be wrong, but just from that email that she said, we worked on leash um, obedience training and leash manners, but we should be focusing on counter conditioning and desensitization and making a dog feel good around your son and also teaching your son how to engage with your dog and, you know, of course, your management, which you've been doing, but we want to have a like a long-term management system so we're not somebody messes up and accidentally leaves a crate door open, the one on the side that you don't realise, this and that, and things can happen. So, today's episode is going to be about addressing some things to consider for sure, but anyone that's listening who's in a similar situation or a situation that you can relate and this gives you some advice. They're only going to be general, right? Now the, one of the things that I did say is that your safety of your child's always going to be number one at all times, no matter what. If you have such a hardcore management system and you have a place where your dogs are, you can maintain them and that you know you are semi professional or professional person with the dogs, then you know how to manage your life and the dog and there's certain dogs that don't have to be running free around your kids. But if you're an everyday person living with your dog, you know it can be a very, very hard decision to make. But of course, remember a bite, even on the hand, isn't just a bite because it could be an infection and could lead to, lead to serious injury, trauma, um, and of course, you know, a, a lot worse depending on the dog, depending on every situation. So, and of course, other people coming over to your house, if they're going to have children, they're coming over and you your dog accidentally got through the door and now he freaks out by a child running straight at him because that child wants to pat him and then he bites him on the head. We have a problem. You said terrier mix, I could kind of mean lots of different stuff. I'm imagining in my head medium, medium to small, you know, we're talking like a a bully or we're talking like more of a Jack Russell sort of terrier. So, you know, but the energy of it is important is that regardless of the size, five kilo dog, 35 kilo dog, that making sure that we're setting everyone up for success is always going to be number one. But the hardest decision is what do we do? Is rehoming the thing, the thing to do and you need to have the discussion with the family, you know, your significant other and whoever else can kind of – I would speak to everybody if it was me. I would say how does everybody feel about the dog um, and kind of make it like more of a understand everybody's perspective uh, is everyone going to follow through if we do go down the route of behavior modification to make all of this work? Because if there's going to be weak links in the in the chain, then that's where everything falls apart. Consistency is everything and if your husband's not willing to do the things that need to be done, then maybe better for the dog because we've got to think about it. Your dog is growling and biting and snapping at anybody in this sort of context because of fear and insecurity. So He's not doing it to be dominant, and again, I'm just assuming. I haven't even seen a video of any of the behaviour. But if we're talking about your dog feels insecure, and if we don't make our dog feel safe, secure, and that he doesn't have to perform that behaviour, and in fact he feels neutral, and more ideally he feels good about being around your family, then quality of life for the dog is important. So even though we go, I can't rehome him because I've had him for two years. Um, that's cool, but things have changed and. If we can't have everybody working together, then the dog's not feeling good, we're not feeling good, and somebody's um, at risk of injury. So these are the things that you may have to weigh up, a pros and cons list or discussion time. And of course, hopefully today's um, episode can kind of jog a few things and also, I think writing things down is so important. It kind of gives you some detachment from your thoughts and feelings so you can kind of see it objectively, as well as speaking to people that you care and love about. Now, when it comes to your trainer, you look, to give any tips about this would be that I can give a tip through a podcast. But if I'm coming to your house, everything revolves around this situation, whether it's obedience training and loosely walking and, you know, all of the things that we want from Training our dog, all of that should revolve around the rehabilitation and the behaviour modification of what it is that you're trying to achieve. Your dog being able to be cool and happy and and safe around your child. And I think that's really important. That if you feel that your trainer is giving you good obedience, but isn't probably working more on the behavioural side of it, then maybe seeking a second opinion and and somebody that is highly recommended, someone who's well versed who takes a balanced approach to this sort of situation so that you can get the best sort of results and maybe that or maybe, you know, how many times have you seen the trainer? I think all of these things that are left for more of a one-on-one conversation but four times, three times in a year or like how many times are we seeing him? Are we seeing him every two weeks and we're doing lots of training and we're not going to fix this through obedience. We're not going to fix it through management. I think that's really, really important that you can have your dog in the crate and your child gets to run around and when your child gets to go to sleep, you let the dog out of the crate. That's management. It may make him feel okay, maybe better but it's not going to fix how he feels and thinks and acts in those situations because once he's in the context of being out of the crate, for example or out from the backyard or from his kennel or whatever that's what's more important. So, management's good because it stops anybody from getting hurt and it doesn't give doesn't get to validate their state of mind. If your dog's scared of your child and you leave your dog out roaming free in the backyard and your child opens the door and runs runs around, jumps on the trampoline, kicking the ball and your dog gets nervous, doesn't know what to do, and then lunges at your child, your child runs away. Your dog now has been successful and been reinforced because he goes, I'm scared of you. You run too f- f- close erratically around me. I bite you or, or lunge and bark at you and you run away then me as a dog feels good for doing that behavior because I got what I wanted. I wanted him to move away from me. So management isn't about just make sure it doesn't happen. It's about making sure that you don't allow the behavior to continue to repeat so that it gets, so it becomes more frequent and more intense over time. So using your intuition, I think is really, really important. How do you feel? Not think because you can think of every reason why you should keep doing what you're doing. But if you feel in your gut deep down, yeah, you shouldn't ignore that because I think that's really important. It's an instinctive sort of thing that you want to feel. Hmm, I don't feel confident, and I think, and I think that's important to acknowledge because it's not a popular thing to talk about with um dog owners and dog trainers. That well, depending on your opinion, but a lot of people can feel like no, dogs are for life. And if you've been listening to previous episodes, I'd say if you need to make that decision, and that's better for everybody then you're doing essentially what's correct. As long as you've exhausted all your options and you know what the risks are to um to keeping the dog. So I think that's really important. In the meantime, you're doing stuff, you're doing training, you're working in your obedience, whatever. Make sure that your dog's muzzle conditioned, so he's been conditioned properly and look that up or what that means. But you would you want your dog to feel good wearing a muzzle, not just shove it on him tomorrow, put a leash on and going, Hey, this is a muzzle, this is how you have to act. And I think we did I may have done an episode on muzzle conditioning. If I haven't, just Google that and, you know, it's pretty straightforward. Basically, lots and lots of small repetitions of your, of your dog learning to have the muzzle around his face without it clipped on. Food, food, food. And then over time, with a very meticulous process, getting that muzzle on his face without him trying to scratch it off and feeling really stressed out by it. Because if you feel stressed by wearing the muzzle and he's around in close proximity of the other thing that scares him, your son, then that's a double conflict and that's no good in long-term sort of goals. And have a leash on. So if you're going to have the dogs, your dog around your son, because you need to be able to. Like if you're going to live together and you want this to work, you need to be able to be in some proximity around each other And again, I'm I'm very hesitant to give anything specific here, but you certainly can listen to episodes that we talk about, you know, counter conditioning and desensitization. And it's a common theme in lots of the episodes talking about your dog looks at at, at your son, you tell your dog to look at you, you say yes and you give him food. And then over time, in that process, keep him short and sweet, make sure that your dog feels good, but it's not just about food, it's about control. Having that leash on and of course, using the leash correctly, like what sort of training device are you using And is that even reliable? So there's so many different factors and variables of how this works because here we have a lifestyle issue. We have a situation that is not just my dog won't come back to me when I call him. This is a how does my dog feel safe when he's around my child? And there's lots of work that needs to to be involved to kind of make that whole picture work because it's not just about your dog feeling good around your son. Is your dog does your dog know to follow you? Do you set up the rules and the boundaries? What sort of experience are they having? Are you communicating effectively to your son that he can't just run straight past the dog? He can't just run up to the dog. What's your dog's threshold? Can your dog be on a bed with the leash tied up? Maybe even if he's tethered, is your son able to understand that he can't? That he has to maybe give a three meter buffer around the dog because that makes him feel safe. Is your son? You know, So all these different things. So I think it's not just about can the dog do it but also can your family do it? Can your son participate? Because if he's going to ignore you and every time and always walk up and annoy the dog, then of course. And again, I don't know who I'm speaking to. So Lauren, I'm not going to assume that you know everything even though you have listened to lots of episodes. Maybe you're one of the best and the better sort of clients that we want that of doing everything but we do have a difficult situation. So not trying to be... Um, like arrogant in any way, but it's important that sometimes I could, I'll, I'll be in a situation with well-meaning people and we don't see when the child walks up and pats the dog and the dog kind of growls from time to time and say, well, if the dog's on the bed nobody should be going up and annoying him, especially the thing that he doesn't like the most. He should feel that when dogs are on dog beds, nobody touches him and then if you have young children, children on play mats or play areas, dogs aren't allowed in those areas and this kind of creates some boundaries. So to kind of elaborate on. It's not just about what you do when the dog's in presence of your child. It's about everything that surrounds it and what job does your dog have? Does your dog know how to follow you and have a, have structure in his life? And, you know, um, and we're going to talk about management at the end about what could be a, maybe a better management than just crating and rotating everybody around like it's Tetris because that can be a bit stressful over time as well. But um, make sure that your control muzzle and leash on when you're doing the training and counter conditioning and um, have that prepared so that when you do see your trainer next, whoever that happens to be, you've I want you to have the goals. I want you to say, hey, I want these things to happen. I want I want over the next three months because I'm willing to put up with this, that my dog can have a secure yard in the back somewhere, like you know, a pool fence and kind of make an area for the dog so that that's his area, no one messes with him. We bring him out to the training, do the counter conditioning, making sure that lots of the food comes from the pouch and that we get everyone involved. And your son can be involved as well. Again, not by maybe just walking up and giving him food, but being part of the process so that he starts to learn to follow and to engage. And again, depending on how intense this aggression is or potential aggression is. Again, can't give any specifics. Very, very difficult. I want to, but hard. So um, so think about having these goals in mind so that when you do see the person, you're telling the trainer, hey, this is the things that I want and I really know the why. Now tell me the what and the how I have to do. And I think that's going to be really important. If you're making pra- progress with this trainer, depends on how long you've been working with him and everything else. Um, and you believe in him, your intuition serves you right. And it's like, look, things are working out well, and I'm happy with the direction that we're going. Because again, it's your child at risk, so it's at your best interest that you're taking direction of this. So, um, but if you're making progress and everything's working, then keep at it. Don't try to find the quick fix and Assess how much you're willing to put the effort in, and what you're going to get out of it, and that's on you as well. Seek second opinion. I've already spoken about that. Um, assess your child if he's le- if he's willing to learn the rules and follow the rules, and I think I, I just talked about that as well in terms of, you know, don't expect too much from your son. Maybe he he isn't at the. He doesn't find it desirable enough to have to follow the rules like I want to do my own thing. Maybe your house is so small that your freedom is a little bit different than what it would be at somebody else's house, you know? So I think that would happen like at my house, I've spoken many times, at my yard split in half with the pool fence. I can put Donny Dog in the back there. It's chicken wide, no one can get in there, like little people, and dogs can't get out. So I have a secure spot if I need to put all my dogs there when there's gonna be, you know, fifty kids running around the backyard for a party. So I have that and it's adequate that my dogs can live back there and um, and there's times where I have to put them back there because something else is happening in the immediate part of the, the area so overnight they have to sleep back there, they've got you know, um, enough kennel space, they've got enough shelter and they've got everything they need and, so, and it's a massive area so maybe that's something that you need to consider as well instead of having just the crate and just the backyard where the child can share it, give it space for your dog come up with different ideas and management systems that can be a bit more long-term because it sounds like if you do commit to working with this, it is going to be a long-term thing and nothing's really guaranteed because there's so many factors at, um, at play. But in saying all of this, I've seen situations like this and worse and that things have turned around and been be- become very successful and that the family is happy to be around each other because we've, under- we've addressed the dog's needs, we've educated everyone on how to manage it how to encourage and how to correct certain behaviours and when to correct certain behaviours because you shouldn't correct the fear response all the time and and that doesn't mean that you always shouldn't either. I think it's very unique and specific. But just the correct, like correct growling for example, you shouldn't because growling is, and again I guess it could be debate about this and again it has to be kind of specific but, it depends on how the dog growls. But if your dog's on the bed or next to you and your son comes right up and stares at him and goes to pat him. He's like, and then we correct the dog. That doesn't make the dog understand that he shouldn't do that. He will just feel even more conflicted. Um, what could be better in this situation? I'm sitting on the couch, dog's next to me. His son walks up, like, hey, buddy, give him a little bit of space. Come on my right hand side. Hey, good boy. And then reward your dog or praise him. But in that moment, rather than he growls and goes, oi, don't growl. Because <laughs> you're just, you're telling him, I'm feeling uneasy, I'm feeling uneasy, I think I'm going to lash out. And then somebody corrects you for the, for saying that. That doesn't make you feel any better. You can't punish a state of mind. You can punish a behaviour. So, if you, even if you punish the growling and he stops growling, that doesn't mean that he's now not feeling how he felt because of why he had to growl. It's fear and insecurity that does the growl. So, um, you can validate states of mind. By good boy while he's growling, you're not reinforcing that he's more scared. You're telling him keep growling. That's great. Keep doing it when you're scared. So that's what we don't want to do. What we would like to do is, again, I'm not going to get into any specifics. And if you listen to enough of the episodes, you'd probably get a similar answer of what I would um, give. But um, but I think that's important. Important to understand that you're trying to in- build confidence in your dog and al- and allow some firm structure and rules and boundaries and I think through that sort of approach we can then talk specifics about what you have to actually do. But these are the things that hopefully, you know, almost 20 minutes of some advice from your email and I think it can really benefit other people as well. Think about these things and if you have a response, um, hit us up. Let me know how you felt about it or what you think about it or if there's any other questions that lead on from this because it is a very difficult thing to address when it comes to children and dogs, and we want to make sure that we do that correct. There is an episode um, that we did back in the early days of the podcast called Babies and Dogs. Check that out, and um, that can give you a little bit more specific advice. That was maybe when I was talking about my son being, you know, six months old at the time and what I was learning fresh in that moment. Um, Maybe I should do like a version two of what it should be like and what it is now. At my house, my son's almost three years old, Introducing a new dog in, the, in 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 the situation as well, um, everything's all good. Everyone knows their space. Actually, in fact, Leonardo kind of engages with the dogs and hangs out and helps me feed them and does all the stuff and wants to pat them and whatever, but isn't madly obsessed with them because my dogs are relatively calmish around him. It's not like it's manic time all the time. So with that, when we walk past random dogs, he's like, hi doggy. But there's but he doesn't have to go and put him in the headlock. He understands to give him space, etc. And I think these are the things that maybe we can address as well in more specifics about how then maybe toddlers and dogs we should talk about rather than babies and dogs. So, um, But anyway, I'm going to wrap it up there. And Lauren, I hope the um, this podcast is well received. Let me know what you think about it. And anyone else, hit us up. Share um, share a screenshot of you listening to this and put on your Instagram. That really helps us. Um, share it with your friends. Tell your friends about it. Um, and also, Spotify and Apple, Apple Podcasts have the rating. Please go on there and, and give us a rating. That, that really does help the show grow and for more people to listen, which means we continue doing what we're doing. Anyway, much love to you all. And for us, it's Orthodox Easter. So, Grisos Anesti, and God bless you all. Thank you so much, and we'll speak next time. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of Life With Your Dog. Please share with your friends if you're enjoying our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts to help others find the show. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook, Life With Your Dog Podcast. My name is Panos, and to keep up with my dog training adventures, tips and techniques, you can find me on Instagram at NP underscore dog underscore training, my website npdogtraining.com or my YouTube channel Nutris Poochers. Thanks for listening guys. My name is Luke. If you'd like to find out more about my dog training services, you can find me at www.kizuna, that's www.kizuna.com.au. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at kizuna canine training. Thanks again and we'll see you next time.